This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 546, for February 15th, 2017. Dear listeners, welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Another week, another day older, actually seven days older. I can't do the math, apparently. And, uh, and here we are. Things have happened. We're going to talk about them. Who am I? I'm Glenn Fleischman. I'm a senior contributor to Macworld. Those of you listening for a few years may know the sound of my voice. You may still even not be totally afraid of it. And joining me, as she is almost every week, is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of the aforementioned Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? I'm feeling uh, sassy today. Oh, good. Spicy. Uh, so uh, we're in that time of the year. There are many times like this in which the news ebbs and flows and you get lots of little stories instead of some big ones. So right now we've got a lot of little stuff to talk about this week, catch people up on and, uh, and see po- where it's going. A potpourri. A potpourri. Um, we've got a bunch of follow-up. Some of it's, I call it follow-up, even though it's not stuff that we necessarily talked about, say, in the last few weeks, but it's still things from the past. <laughs> um, one is uh, the Apple stores have pulled the LG Ultrafine 5K display. And womp, uh, womp. Yeah, they're not going to sell it right now because of that pesky problem of interference if you have a Wi-Fi router within six feet of it, apparently. Uh, and uh, you would think that LG would have tested this. You would also have thought, perhaps... That Apple making this its flagship 5K since it doesn't sell one and discounting it heavily to people on the site would have tested this. Didn't yeah, they you showed think? it off on stage. I mean, like, so I don't, you know, just selling it in the Apple store is one thing, but they introduced it alongside the MacBook Pro and was like, you know, if you're a pro, like this is your setup now. You can get this monitor. You can get, you know, you can hook in all your USB, like, th- I mean, I'm sorry, your Thunderbolt 3, you know, NAS drives and different things. And that's your, that's your pro thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, that was like, you know, a, a major part of that workstation that Apple was pushing. So it seemed like they were endorsing it a lot more than, you know, just any product that they'd put in the store, which I don't know how much they test. You would think that they would, t- they, like the, the store is very tightly curated, but this, this went above and beyond that. Yeah, it was, it was flagshipy, and people were talking about how this is kind of like, you know, in the past, even if Apple had it manufactured its own monitor like this, it would have, um, I mean, I shouldn't say manufactured, like, let's say Apple might have worked with another party to make it, and, you know, the, the Apple displays, I'm not sure to what extent the various series of those were made in Apple factories in which were made, um, I mean, I don't, they don't have manufacturing operations per se these days, but I don't know to what extent they contracted it entirely to, say, one company. And uh, how much they contracted parts and then had an assembly firm that was under their direction, which is kind of more of the the situation they do today because of scale. But without having a monitor of their own to sell, this was it. And I think this emphasizes the point. This is the weird thing about Apple. We see them over time deciding we never want to be subject to the dictates of other companies. It was one of the reasons that Flash never came to iOS. The other is Flash was terrible. Um, (laughs) Sorry, but it was not a good technology and would never be battery efficient and uh, computationally efficient enough to run. But besides that, I always thought uh, that, you know, I think Jobs said this explicitly, didn't he? That like Apple did not want to have other companies dictating their future and supporting Flash would mean that stuff would continue to be developed in a non-native environment that Adobe would control. And so you listen to that and you look at Apple buying a chip, you know, fab companies, developing its own iOS chips and so forth. And then you're like, all right, well, they got rid of all their peripherals. So now they're entirely dependent on uh, if, if the airport line is really dead, as we believe it is, 
then they're entirely reliant on other firms to provide connectivity. They're entirely reliant on other firms to provide external monitor technology, which affects only their highest end users potentially, but even some of the mid-tier ones who may want an external monitor with uh, a Mac mini if that's ever updated. Um, So I don't know, this shows sort of the sensibility of Apple's approach when they have this kind of big of a mess up. But um, if you bought an LG already, a 5K, you can send it back apparently and they'll add shielding, but I don't know what the time turnaround is on that. And it's kind of a hassle too. Ship monitor back. Yeah, that is a hassle. No one wants to do that. Nope, no fun. Um, speaking of Apple and controlling things, uh, after the uh, we last, uh, they had the earnings announcement uh, two weeks ago, uh, just before we recorded, and um, you know we talked about that last week. But report came out that Apple made ninety two percent of the smartphone profits in that last quarter, in quarter the fourth quarter of two thousand and sixteen. And um, Samsung made most of the rest, and other companies made. I think someone made a, was it Huawei or something like a, a fraction. Um, but people, because companies actually lost money, the ninety-two percent is of a larger than hundred percent amount because they had it all up. A uh, little bit of a problem there. BlackBerry uh, took in less than one percent. Sony took one percent. Um, I don't remember how BlackBerry actually made some money for some reason, unclear why. Not sure what. Uh, and I, don't, I mean, they, don't, they still sell some handsets. <laughs> yeah, they're still around. But Don't they make an Android money. phones now? So yeah. weird. Oh, that's right. Every, so everybody else lost money. And, and Apple took a, took a lead uh, partly because, oh, yeah, so they sold 18% of sales by units, 92% of profits. And part of that was because of the Note 7 uh, debacle with the battery, and that gave some sales over. But yeah. apparently, uh, like, surprisingly not as many as uh, – were anticipated. So Apple did get a bump from that. But you know, this is again the Apple thing. They're like, yeah, 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 Android runs the mar- you know, blah, 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 blah. But we're minting money. Like we're selling 18% of units, making 92% of profits. That's good. Like, right. I but, think they didn't they hit the all-time high? The all-time the previous all-time high was 134.54. And I think they might have like inched over that yesterday. They might be just under it right now. But you know how it kind of like did, 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 did up and down a little bit. Oh, I think they might have. I think yes. they might have a new high. One thirty four point eighteen as of when we're recording this, and the previous high looks to be one thirty four fifty four. So that's still under, but I think maybe yesterday it it inched up like briefly and then came back down a little bit. Yeah, I think just averaged weekly. I don't fluctuations. Think, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Apple price all time. The previous oh yeah the re- previous record closing price was one hundred and thirty three dollars, set in February twenty fifteen. And uh, yesterday they closed at 133.289, and it's just right. It's just around that today. Uh, fascinating. Hmm. Intraday high was 134 dollars and 54 cents set in April 2015. Uh, it seems like uh, terrible. Now the thing that you get come to the again, we're not a stock anal- analysis program, but um, the thing is, Apple is Thank still consi- <laughs> Apple still considered by some analysts and by people who look at tech companies as undervalued. It's PE, it's profit to earnings ratio is 16. Some of its competitors have a zero rating because they're not making money. Others are in the hundreds, even though they've been a startup for 20 years. So um, Apple, you know, like Amazon remains, uh, Amazon remains with a very high uh, PE. Their PE is 170. And uh, so there's an issue about, you know, is Apple still undervalued? And that's, I think it's going to always have this problem of seeming like it's past its prime, even as it uh, advances and stockpiles cash and so forth. So what are you going to do? We don't trade in the stock because we write about it. So there you go. 
<laughs> this is all all academic. I don't know. I'm curious how many listeners actually own Apple stock because uh, people I know in the past, I know a lot of people who used to own stock and they sold it at various points, sometimes at a giant gain because they bought it at you know the equivalent of a dollar today and they sold it for ten. In other cases, they're like they felt like they had to dump it because the company was on the way out or they believed reports and um, got rid of it and then regretted it later. I had some at a very low valuation years ago before I was engaged in reporting on this stuff. And, um, and it would have been worth probably millions today. Who yeah. knew? Who knew? Because uh, it was very cheap once. Enough people made enough money. It's all right. Um, but here's something happier. Ow! Prince is on Spotify and Apple Music. Or was that too James Brown? I was trying to do I can't that do it. That was a little James Brown. But, you know, James Brown and Prince were very good friends. It's true. So he's come to Spotify and uh, he may come to Apple Music, but he's, he's on, on Spotify Apple now. Music. Oh, it's he confirmed. is. Oh, okay. Yes. I was relying on reports so, from yesterday. Yeah. Well, I just updated the article. Um, so He's on Apple yeah, Music, too. Yeah, he launched on, uh, the, the music launched on Grammy night on uh, the other services. So I don't have Apple Music, but I just confirmed this morning with the, the kids who have the Apple Music that he's on there. So that's good. Um, yeah, it's great. They, they were streaming more widely for a while and then uh, he pulled the catalog to just title because that was, you know, artist owned and supposedly had better royalty, has better royalty deals. Um, but now, you know, Prince is no longer with us and whoever is in charge of his estate made the decision to uh, stream it a little more widely, which is nice because, you know, little Prince can get you get you through some hard days. Yeah, I know uh, while he was alive, he had lots of feelings about this and um, it's very sad he's gone. And I guess uh, his heirs, um, this is like, you know, the Marquis de Sade asked his son to burn all of his writings when he died and that did not happen. So maybe we're lucky that Prince, uh, having passed away and not had uh, not enjoined in his will, uh, people from selling his music more widely. This will uh, let's his passing might be a little uh, yeah less bitter because we have more access to it. I mean, I guess there's a lot of stuff in the vaults. No one really knows what's oh, gonna man. happen with all of that. One song's already come out, but it was like a song that you know if you were a Prince fan, you had already heard it. Um, like you know used to play it live, and it was heavily bootlegged. So. Uh, but yeah, there's so much new stuff. Like he could just like they could release new Prince albums like every year. It could be like Tupac again. Oh my god! Well, eventually they'll recreate him in 3D, and he'll be part of a you know I'll play Coachella. Exactly, it could happen with Beyonce. Could happen. This is the future. Well, I'll, I'll be AIs in the future. Uh, Eddie Q. Speaking of music, Eddie Q. Was talking at uh, <laughs> we talk about music. Talk about that's Eddie my cue. <laughs> my cue to talk about Eddie Q. Uh, he was oh. speaking at a Recode event and uh, revealed that Apple Music has about 20 million subscribers, which is very sizable. Yeah, given how much they charge for it, it's part of the big bump in service revenue, big year-over-year increase in uh, their latest fiscal quarter, and this is part of why. Uh, also released a clip of the upcoming Planet of the Apps, like a trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, wow. Hey, so <laughs> folks, I recommend using proper eye protection um, before watching the clip. It's only a couple minutes long, but it has been known to cause sterility in bats. And I think <laughs> it's not good. To, well, I mean, I see what they're trying to do. Like, you know, I don't really watch the uh, I'm not a reality uh, business show. It's like there's a my favorite line from the cartoon series, The Venture Brothers, is the monarch who's a supervillain. It's broken up with uh, his girlfriend and he's out on a date and he's with this woman who said, you know, I thought when I saw your picture, it was cosplay. And he said, this isn't cosplay. This is cos work. 
And that's kind of <laughs> kind of my feeling when I look at these shows like Shark Tank and uh, Apprentice and uh, other shows that are kind of sort of about business is that they feel like I'm like, I don't need to watch reality work. Like I have enough work in my life. I want to watch entertainment. Um, I do know someone who was on Shark Tank, though. I know somebody it's who, like uh, a cross between Shark Tank and The Voice. So they have to pitch the apps to the, you know, sharks like Shark Tank. But then you it keeps going. So, you know, how in Shark Tank, they like they'll be like, yeah, I'm going to invest in that. And supposedly they're later. like working together <laughs> right. and like and then they come back and kind of check in later. But this is going to be like a whole series where you see them being mentored and you see them sitting around tables and pointing at MacBook screens and talking about synergy and whatever. And it's going to be excruciating. So I and yeah, I, I, and then at the end they pitch it again to actual venture capitalists. So first they're just pitching it to the you know the mentors, the culturally influential entrepreneurs like Jessica Alba and Will I Am and Gwyneth Paltrow and the other guy Gary Vaynerchuk. I, the yes. thing is, I actually think they made pretty good <laughs> pretty good choices on the uh, on the judges. Is those people do they have created created or understand like massive worldwide sort of cultural branding. It'll just depend on how good they are on TV. You yeah, know? Like true. the voice judges, like you would look at the panel and be like, oh, I don't really care about Maroon 5 or whatever. Right, but right. then you, but then you start watching and you're like, oh, but this Adam Levine guy is actually really cool. Yeah. Ben Folds. Is he in Maroon I heard, 5? Is that him? Yeah, yeah think, anyway. Yeah, that's right. And Ben, ben Folds, uh, I heard was magnificent on, um, what was his show? He was on The Voice too, wasn't it? He was on a show uh, where they mentored. It was a uh, different one. I they think, mentored but... people, and they were t- and everyone talked about how kind and sort of uh, empathetic he was. Oh, he's a mensch. He's a very nice guy. Yeah, and you know, you it's like given the kind of music he does, I wouldn't have totally. And I've heard interviews, and he's pretty hard ass, and they are excuse me, hard edge, I should say. PG, I got to meet PG him once ass. on his birthday. Oh, he was really? a sweetheart. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Yeah, so that's call, the thing. Call me Ben. But I, you know, I've always, you know, despite what Gwyneth Paltrow writes on her Goop site and the kind of bizarre stuff she wrote, expensive sugars and things to stick into other things the worst right but i think she actually does understand she understands the cultural imperative uh i mean if they could have gotten kim kardashian for this uh show which i'm sure they couldn't afford her for what they want to do uh, i mean there's all these people who do have despite whether you like their work or not you it is inarguable they understand what the throbbing cultural you know yeah gestalt is um, but the show, the way it looked, it was kind of, they have an escalator. Well, folks, you'll watch, you'll watch it. Like I say, proper So it's like an protection. elevator pitch, but it's an escalator. So it like descends into the studio and it takes 60 seconds and that's how long they get to do their first pitch. I it's recommend so, ho- it's so hokey. Holding up a piece of smoke glass. Do not look directly at the video player while it's playing. Um, but you know, I, it could be interesting. The other thing that's hilarious is like, this is about software development. And I'm like, they're like in one season, will it be like at the end of the season, there'll be nothing. There'll be like agile teams, like Sprawled around the floor. There'll be all these whiteboards. There'll be no working code. There'll be like some frameworks. Be like, okay. And then like five seasons in, someone will ship something. That's my. And it's uh, just a commercial for the app store. Like, yeah, I mean, I watch Project Runway and stuff, but then I'm watching them make like beautiful clothes and there's like challenges involved. So every week they have to make a new thing with different parameters. So that's like a different show, you different can't make kind of app. like reality yeah. show. But they, yeah, so they can't do can't that. App, and that wouldn't work. Like the whole season one app thing makes sense but it's like they're just going to be it's going to be all over the app store like get the planet of the apps app and it's i don't know like that that's kind of makes it feel lame to me too that it's just a big like commercial for the app store here we go i got the joke it's this show will promote unreasonable body tag images Uh, no 
All right. Yeah. I'll work on it. it. I'm going to workshop that one. (laughs) But the idea that in a cycle of a TV show, an app could go from prototype conception to actually something mature and released is, I mean, talk to developers. There there are some apps that can do that. There's some apps that Well, the that companies are, that come in a shark tank, like they already have a company and they're just trying right, to get, right. you know, an influx of like, so the, I bet these developers are going to be like, we have, like, I bet all this stuff is in that, was in the app store already, or they at least had like, you know, up and running or they wouldn't get chosen. They're trying to take it to the next level. Bam. Yeah. Uh, we need some influx of millions of dollars so we can take it to the next level and get highly indebted to leveraged investors and lose control of what we're doing. Bam. Like they have some users, but. And you know, but they need to like grow it and scale it, and I bet it's going to be a lot of that. What I really want to see is somebody like uh, the guy behind Pinboard, uh, uh, Mache. Um, what's his name? Mache uh, Mache uh, uh, I'm forgetting his last name. He uh, he was the one who produced this um, almost a parody thing, which was the Global Prosperity Investment Fund or something like that. It was um, the idea was he would give like twenty seven dollars to six winners, <laughs> and it would buy them like a year of hosting on some you know Linux uh, hosting site. But the notion is, I mean, there's so many people out there who develop apps who have taken no outside investment. These are sometimes small and sometimes larger firms, but the idea is to maintain control. So at some level, I don't like the concept that Planet of the Apps is pushing that uh, investment is required. I mean, you do need investment to scale in certain ways, but there's, I think, part of the advantage of the app economy is – if you do things right, you can be um, – I mean there's what they call a lifestyle business is when it grows at a level that allows you to sustain a lifestyle but not mm-hmm. to become rich, right? And you're yeah. not failing You're not failing and burning cash. You're not scaling up crazily and burning cash and maybe becoming super profitable and selling or having whatever. Um, but lifestyle app business is actually a much more – I mean as I say, unhealthy body tag <laughs> – image um there a lifestyle app business is i know so many people in that scale i mean not i don't know a thousand but i know easily from dozens to a hundred of people who are in one person or two person firms maybe a few more or they have contract employees and they're able to effectively control their own lives their own destinies and make a decent living without having to constantly reinvent themselves and constantly deal with the pressure of growth. So at some level, I'd love to see a, hey, you know, here's how to actually build a lifelong career. I mean, there's people, you know, in the Mac community who have been running essentially the same company and making a very similar product for 20 plus years. In some cases, I think like 25 years, uh, bare bones makes BB edit. Uh, the folks, uh, uh, Dave uh, Nanning is behind um, Super Duper and a few other products. And uh, James Thompson, who makes uh Calc, uh, a lot of these folks, even though now some of them have iOS versions or expanded into iOS frontiers, are effectively running, you know, sometimes the company's got bigger and smaller, but they're effectively running the same kind of business they have for their entire working life. And so I think that is to be praised. And it seems like it would be in Apple's benefit to show, you know, that kind of (laughs) business model and to promote like those people. Because, yeah, if like you if it's since like one of, you know, the perks or whatever is this rock star placement on the App Store, which everybody knows is like, you know, a huge like the game changer. Um, for any app developer, big or small, um, they could, yeah, they could use this to lift up small ones. And we haven't seen, like, I mean, like the, you know, the the trailer has shows you like two geeks coming down the elevator. So we don't know that these are big companies, and we don't know that they're all going to be like pushed into the, you know, get some VC money and 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 scale, scale, scale kind of uh, train. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of what. Apple decides to show because it's like they're making the decisions. So it's like everything that 
shows up on the show will have been it's 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 a very long Apple commercial. Like everything in there is in there because like they said it was okay and they approved it and they are shaping it um, every second that you see. So so just keep that in mind, but I guess. <laughs> wouldn't you have preferred an Iron Chef model where it opens with Chairman Tim Tim Cook dressed in some elaborate like yes. feathered outfit and him like biting into an apple, a whole apple? The secret ingredient this week oh, is dynamic frameworks. Go! And then you'd have developers running around monitors yeah, for an hour. That would be and, so great. I love that show. And they the Japanese the, one. They, they really ruined it after, but... It's true. Then they present to the, the judges. I even believed in the chairman. Like I thought he was really like the chairman of something. Oh. And that, like, he really was like the son of the, you know, like the nephew of the original chairman. And there was like all that, you know, that kind of backstory. I thought it was all true. And then I found out, like, no, these are just actors. And I was so crushed. <laughs> I have, a, I have a, a glenning moment, which is I had a friend who was at um, Food TV, and she is indirectly responsible for Iron TV coming to America. Uh, so that's, it's a so long cool. story. That's my glenning yeah. moment. Uh, she 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 counts herself responsible, and I think rightly so because. And then when they pull back, and there would be all those chefs, like oh, the yeah. whole like supposed academy so of beautiful. chefs, and they were all like the like they just looked like lined up like terracotta soldiers just into the distance, into great. the distance. I, I loved I it. That like, was my favorite show. So, just one more digression. One of the first episodes I saw <laughs> was their turkey episode, and they like unveil turkey as a special ingredient. And my wife and I are like, "Oh my god, it's like the trichinosis special because you yeah. can't cook turkey that fast." And they the people are making like turkey. Carpaccio, and I'm like, no, don't eat it. Run away. And the chairman would like scream the name. You'd be like, right. Turkey! Turkey! My favorite episode actually was Natto. And then because, the panel was always, oh yeah, I remember right. the Natto one. That was a really the good not, one. It, my, the judge was like, this is very good. I can barely taste the Natto. They would always say the same things. Like the camera would be in mm. there and they'd be like, ah, I think it's a soup. I think it's a soup was always one. An hour is not enough time. I did my exactly. best. An hour was not enough time. Exactly. They the always said cookers. that at the end. Well, Great British Breaking Show is, you know, is almost as good. Is it really? I've heard it's good, but you I, watch you know, that show. I don't want to fall in love with another weird foreign cooking show. No, no, it's great. It. It's sweet. It's sweet. Nobody wins. Okay. Or nobody. The people win, but there's no real prize. That's the amazing part about it. It's, That's it's the all, best. It's all. It's a struggle against here. yourself. That's what I want to see in in in. Uh, yeah. In uh, Planet of the Apps. I want to see people struggling struggling against their own limitations to become the best they are without necessarily having a prize at the end. I want them just to to do it for the uh, yeah, for the love of it. That's why you're doing it. Uh, moving on. We'll we'll continue our <laughs> uh, we'll continue our uh, Iron Chef tribute later. Verizon, this is we're done with follow-up. Now we're with uh, new stories, I think. New business, counselor. Verizon has added unlimited data with an asterisk, asterisk, let me say that correctly, asterisk, asterisk. Uh, T-Mobile has changed its plans uh, partly in reaction to this. So, Susie, you're a grandfathered AT&T user still, right, on the unlimited plan? No, I finally ditched it. Oh, but the unlimited plan. But we're saving so much money. My bill went down like seventy-five bucks a month. Oh my god! Oh, because they kept messing with the plan. They made better and better deals for more and more data, right? So now, well, yeah, we have a ton of data. I got us like we were only using nine gigabytes a month between like the three of us on this plan. So I could have gotten ten, but I think I went with like sixteen because it was not very much more. Yeah. and with rollover, so have, you'll never run out. And we too. have rollover, so yeah, we have an absurd amount of data. It feels like. A unlimited data even though it's technically not and then um you know everything else and so it ended up being 150 bucks for the three lines and before my bills were coming in over 200 every time because 
my husband would t- send too many text messages or it was always we were always going over uh, on like dumb things like that yeah yeah because, because my plan was so old everything was like tacked on and now it's all like just bundled like they're just like unlimited everything the only thing we care about is the data and, so and they don't that really for, helped us well and they don't charge for excess anymore and with one month roll and i'll be able to tether finally i haven't been able to tether this whole oh time oh my gosh yeah i think i mean i've been Riding, I've essentially been riding AT&T down all the way since the unlimited plan went went off. I like, I didn't keep it. I kept it for a bit. Uh, so I mostly had one of their plans, and I think at a peak we might have been paying almost two hundred dollars a month, and now we pay under one hundred and thirty. It might even be less. And uh, we just got the three gigabyte plan or the six. We have a very low plan, but we are. Oh, I kept looking at the numbers, and we barely use one or two gigabytes a month in the months I that we go over. I just didn't want to have to monitor it because, like, I've had unlimited for so long that I just didn't want to have to like think about it. So I was like, commute. "Give me all the gigs, right. yeah, and, you, and, and you have a commute. commute." And they'll keep changing the deals. So the next time they do a ratchet, you may be able to ratchet down from sixteen to ten or something, save another twenty or thirty dollars a month, and still yeah. not be in a bad position. I mean, AT, this position of having, I think, AT and T will eventually be forced to go to this asterisked unlimited um so verizon's plan it has a 22 gigabyte it has a 10 gigabyte limit on on uh tethering per month it has a it's unlimited but there's uh i believe is sprint one of the other companies was doing this as well it's a 22 gigabyte monthly limit but to share for one person no it's well it's per plan uh so you can i think you can get multiple you can share it or not well, actually, now that you say that, I need to examine that because I think— I mean, that it, would be enough for us to share. We're on 16 now, and it's more than enough. I think it is—the um, bundle is for—yeah, it is. If you put the lines in a plan, it's all on um, It's all on the same thing. So it's uh, $80 a month before tax for a single phone. If you go to two, it's $70 per each. So 143 is 54, 162. Four lines is 180. So it goes down a lot, but it's one pool of okay. data. Um, it That's also, still a lot. It is. And it includes uh, 500 megabytes of free data roaming in Mexico and Canada and calls and texts to Mexico and Canada and blah, blah, blah. So it's got it's kind of hitting a lot of the, the high points. But the, the thing is, after 22 gigabytes, it's going to do a thing that I want to say – I think T-Mobile was doing this before. It's doing what they call deprioritization. So uh, I was chatting yeah. with Danny Sullivan of Search Engine Land on um, – Twitter this morning and last night, and, and he said, you know, this is a cap. And I was like, it's not exactly a cap. He's like, it works like a cap. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to fight you. Unlimited should mean unlimited. When you say unlimited, uh, you know, putting a lot of asterisks on it, Verizon got uh, sued by the state of New York years ago for calling something a, an unlimited broadband plan, and they uh, they they agreed to ch- make changes, I believe, with, uh, without admitting anything or being charged um, because – they would limit you to like five gigs or something back then. Um, but anyway, so it's so deprioritization is technically a different thing. It can have the same effect. So in the previous plans and the way AT&T is doing it is you hit a certain amount each month and you're not charged, but you are instantly throttled to a lower data rate, like a you know 2.5G data rate for the rest yeah. of your billing period. Verizon – And you can't really stream – and right, it's email, basically email and some web yeah. browsing works. So Verizon and the other carrier, like I say, I think this was T-Mobile. Uh, this is deprioritization, which is if there's like your traffic will have the least priority in the cellular network you're in after you hit that limit. Which means that if you're in a busy area in the middle of, you know, if you're in midtown Manhattan at 5 p.m., you may get throttled to really low rates because you're now past your cap. 
anywhere else you're at, as long as there's throughput, then you're going to get it. So maybe you don't get the you know 40 megabit per second rate. You're getting two or something because other people are tying up the line. Um, and but Verizon has made noises about trying to not enforce it. It's it's basically using it for it's saying it's using it for network management, not for essentially punishment, right? Oh, okay. We like we might throttle you if we have to, but if we don't need to, we right. won't. It's not That's a hard nice. throttle. They're not like they're not like putting you into a different mode. It's just you now have once you hit that mark, you have the least priority among all people using the cell you're in, or you know you're in the same pool as everybody else who's passed their mark. So, and I can see that because they're trying to prevent people from replacing a home broadband connection yeah. with this. Because um, now that you can tether and everything, like you could, you know, try to just run your entire internet world off of your well, cell phone plan. No, and But only a small number of people want to do that. And that's just the behavior they're trying to discourage. Tethering is limited to 10 gigabytes, but you could use an iPhone and, you know, use AirPlay to, to stream from all the apps. So it doesn't really, you know, the mobile hotspot data thing is... I mean, that limits, you know, laptop access because it's uh, 10 gigabytes. Um, and then they drop you to 3G speeds after that. But the the phone-based thing, you can do so much with it. You can do so much streaming oh, yeah, with the phone. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Right, you, you can, can push, stream all your TV over your phone. Right, you can push it to a device. So I think it's. I think this is a reasonable balance, and I think it's going to keep pushing. I think unlimited would destroy carriers, like true unlimited. I just hate the fact that they're calling it unlimited. I think they should say, you know, like, I don't know. There should be a different term that is realistic that – promotes what they're doing, which I think is um, it's a good thing. So T-Mobile changes. Unlimited-ish. They should make up like a new word. It's like a monogamish, right? Yeah. Uh, so T-Mobile, in response, seemingly lowered the price of their service, which apparently I think already bundles in taxes. So when they say it's X dollars a month uh, on their site, they've, in, they've uh, backed the taxes into it. So you save a few bucks a month, even comparing the raw plan cost. Because uh, Verizon, you have to go to checkout to find out the final dollar amount. Uh, but Verizon, uh, T-Mobile also added unlimited HD streaming. They used to throttle that to DVD uh, resolution, 480p, unless you bought that uh, bounce out pack, what it was called, power up or something. Uh, so this kind of competition is good. This is why having four carriers, even if Sprint is kind of crummy, has been good. Imagine again if T-Mobile and AT&T emerged, we would not have had a scrappy carrier like T-Mobile pushing the envelope and giving us a better stuff. Better stuff that then the other carriers have to match. Yep. Don't you know? Moving on. Uh, so, if I didn't have my oh, parents yeah. on my plan, it would be easier to switch us all. Oh. But we'd have to be all together and we'd have to all turn in our phones and get new phones. And that's just a big commitment and hassle. I think AT&T, the way they structure it, is actually better than Verizon and T-Mobile because they, for people who aren't heavy users, if you're a heavy user, uh, I think T-Mobile has become... If you're a heavy user, especially we're kind of mixed. Like I'm heavy, the other two not so much. But you use, but you're a heavy user, but you're you're probably on Wi-Fi most of the time, except while commuting. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is, I we used to use my wife and I used to use a ton more data, but Wi-Fi has backfilled everywhere in Starbucks and whatever. I can be driving along on my, um, you know, using navigation or something on my phone, and it switches to Wi-Fi because I drive by a Starbucks. So, yeah. And if you're an Xfinity customer um, or uh, one of a cable company. And you've got those credentials programmed in, you can wind up on Wi-Fi kind of wherever you're roaming around. I'm telling, I was telling it to forget that because then it's giving me those stupid like splash sheets to, you know, accept the terms oh, and stuff. You have to do I it every those. time. I thought it stored it. And, uh, oh, you, you use the I feel like it shows me a lot. You like it's always the, showing me the Xfinity like login sheet. If you use the Xfinity app, if you install that, I believe it helps you bypass it. Oh. And you, then you can suck bandwidth from random people's homes. I don't with, want Comcast tracking me around oh, the world. Tracking. I don't know. Yeah, they're no Vizio, that's for sure. Uh, 
On to, uh, speaking of TVs, look at my transitions. I have the Comcast app that tells me if my internet's really down or not. Burp, burp, That's a good burp. one. It's got, it's got a big sad face. Um, Apple has hired a former Fire, Roku, and Netflix guy, Timothy T- D. Twerdall, just to make sure you don't confuse him with another Timothy Twerdall. Uh, I don't think I met him. I'm not sure. But the founder of, you know, the history of Roku is interesting. Uh, Netflix wanted to release its own streaming box. They developed this project in-house. And then almost at the last minute, they said, you know, this is going to put us into conflict with hardware partners. So let's roll it out. So they spun it out. They spun Roku out. I've forgotten the founder's name. I met him, talked to him a few times. So Roku became its own freestanding business, which I think turned out to be pretty smart. Uh, so this guy must have worked uh, from the Netflix to Roku route and then was in charge or was at the uh, at Amazon working on Fire. And now he will be working on the uh, the head of the Apple TV business, which seems like a good sign because uh, Apple has been, you know, seems like floundering around with what they're doing there. And uh, having somebody from the outside bringing them in is a sign that they actually want to get input from another place or seems like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I think about those other devices, one of the things that jumps in those other. So it's Roku, um, Fire TV and and Netflix. Um, those all have way better kind of um, interfaces than the Apple TV. And Apple's moving that way with the new TV app that is kind of supposed to be the you know main interface. When you hit the TV button on your Apple TV, it goes to that app now instead of back out to the app grid. So, you know, maybe, yeah, they're trying to Im- Im- improve that experience. They're already working on it. So it's going to be interesting to see um, if it gets, you know, if they move more in that direction. Yeah. It'd be fab. It'd be fab if the product got better. I mean, we own one. You and I each own one. It'd be nice if uh, they just kept pushing out TVOS upgrades that made us like it better. Mm-hmm. I would enjoy that. Um, Apple has. This is so. We know that Apple does not have much sentimentality. This has been well established. However, there are strong rumors that there will be a 10th anniversary iPhone, or at least an iPhone. Uh, so this fall, ostensibly, they will release a iPhone 7s, 7s Plus, and then also an iPhone 8 or an iPhone X um, for a high price that would use an OLED display, this organic LED, uh, which has a brighter display and consumes less power, but it costs a lot more to make um, and replace the physical home button with a glass home button, which might also be on the 7S and S plus 7S plus. What do you think about this? Do you think Apple will actually, do you think this is a wishful thinking or do you think there's really something going to come? Yeah, no, I think they might do this um, just because of the kind of approach they took with the Apple Watch where, you know, the experience of using it and the software is exactly the same, but one of them just has like better materials Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, it's just a more high-end like luxurious experience just from like a hardware design perspective. So um, I think that they would do that, that they would keep it like it would still, you know, be an iPhone and work like an iPhone, but I, you know, maybe they'll do like ceramic or give it some gold accents or something but this OLED is you know obviously a great way to make it both like functionally like cooler even though you know as screens a screen like but this is a way better screen so it gives it some luxury that way and then you know kind of a tech boosts um because uh, you can do some stuff with like uh, always on or the, the, there's some cool things that they could do with ola that they can't do now with lcd but it would still you know be an iphone and the person who bought like the regular iphone would still be getting you know a really good phone so it's like, kind of what they did with the apple watch so that that's why i could see them doing that no it makes sense i mean it's hardware differentiation uh i mean some feature and some finish like the apple watch 
was identical, really, right? But um, the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus, or 6S mm -hmm. and 6S Plus, those are very different devices in terms of screen size and now the camera difference and uh, even uh, the processing speed. So if a... The MacBook Pro can come with or without the touch bar. That's right. like, you know, the bell and whistle right. on that side. So I think yeah, this is sort of like Apple's thing now where they're going to make like a... A deluxe. I, I could see them making like an iPhone edition or whatever. That's just like a, it's a limited edition. We're only going to sell it this year. It's going to be ridiculously expensive. And then maybe they'll bring OLED to like, you know, the regular phone when the costs come down a little bit. But I could see them kind of making a fancy one. Well, it makes sense the, once they get up into volume. That's, I mean, that's Apple's thing is they introduce new technology at some high price and some high level. And then it just becomes... Um, this gets folded into everything they do because they've produced enough volume that suddenly the cost has dropped and they can make their margins on it. The it better be better than the 20th anniversary Mac. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was kind of cute. That was cute, but it wasn't good. The uh, Yeah, so this will give them four different iPhone models, ostensibly, that have the SE, that have their you know flagship smaller phone, the, uh, the 7S, their flagship larger phone, the 7S Plus, and then the super special phone, the iPhone X or 8 or whatever it's going to be called. So I suspect, I wonder if they'll call it the X or something like that so that they don't have the same upgrade schedule um, issues. And uh, which reminds me is it seems like we should be getting a new SE in the next month or so if they keep on that schedule, unless the SE is just going to stay the same for a couple of years and not get updated frequently. We don't know yet if that's their plan or not. Yeah. Same thing. Apple uh, Mac uh, MacBook, 12-inch MacBook with USB. They came out with one in uh, was announced in March 2015. I believe the revision came out in March 2016. I think or thereabouts. Yep. So ostensibly, we've got another MacBook revision, unless they put it on the same schedule as the MacBook Pro, and we wait until the the fall. But it doesn't seem like that's what guides them. And um, it might be that they fold in some improvements. It's possible they could be putting Thunderbolt 3 into a 12-inch MacBook for. Uh, the next release, we don't know. We don't know. I know there were some chip, there were controller issues that limited some of what happened in the first and second MacBook releases, and uh, that may change too. But uh, so we might get some hardware this spring. We're also waiting. We know Tim Cook said there'd be new hardware. You know, we're not he said new hardware. He said uh, the best is yet to come, something like that. We got we got something to look forward to this year. I hope. Oh, exciting stuff in the pipeline. Exciting. That's it. The pipeline is full of. It's not full of oil. Really excited it's full about of the pipeline. The pipeline. Just put some pneumatic air. We're just gonna start selling like PVC pipes. It's a uh, eye pipeline. Um, Apple, uh, this is another little iPhone-related issue, probably, possibly. Apple joined the wireless power consortium that makes the Qi uh, standard that um, their existing watch. Is that how you say that? Well, I say it that way. A Qi is the um, Qi is the concept of uh, energy flow in um, yeah. various. You know, I just never knew how to pronounce it. It's Q I, but well, I, you know, I knew it wasn't pronounced I Q I. Say chi. It's also part of the word Aikido. It probably is. If you use Japanese I, form, I, I believe no it's Qi. It's could be Qi. Could be chi. I would say chi, because I was I was treated by Chinese I've acupuncturists. It, I've never heard it pronounced. I've only seen it reading. It's um, the energy that flows through all of us. That is, um, when you have chi blockage, it is a bad thing. You should go see an acupuncturist. This is not medical advice. Uh, <laughs> I go see all kinds of practitioners. And my chiropractor, I'm like, my chi is congested, and he puts breaks and bones. It works great. Um, the uh, but chi in this case, qi, qi, chi. Whatever they're calling it is a wireless power standard that's uh, contact based, and the Apple Watch effectively uses it. So you can use Qi uh, devices will actually charge on the Apple Watch charger, but Apple's watch will only charge with an Apple Watch charger, apparently. 
So this may be uh, part of a direction. Mm. Don't know if it'll materialize this fall. There's been a lot of interest by people in not having to have connectors. But the wireless charger thing, the, the best reason for wireless chargers is not for our convenience of being able to plug and unplug things, although it has some advantages. It's that uh, companies can offer like cafes and businesses, whatever, you can offer wireless charging locations where you just put your thing down and you don't need to have all the adapters and cables. Um, I don't know. I had never thought of, I guess the and idea. they can get rid of ports, and then there's less places for water to get in. That's right. It'd be no ports, no screen, no port. It's just a black brick, and it talks to your mind. That's the future. Well, it's like the, the like you, so the charging pad would have like the port on it. So if you needed to, you know, sync it to your like back it up to your Mac or something, like the charging pad would do that. So it would be like like the Apple Watch charging puck. So yeah. they, that's why how they could get rid of the port on the, the phone, and I wouldn't freak out about that as much. Maybe I don't know. They got rid of the charging it, port on the phone. Yeah, if that's because I I really freaked out about the headphone jack. Would I freak out as much about the charging port? That seems even more integral. I d- I did like it was funny. Uh, I think this again was John Gruber on Daring Fireball was pointing out that um, that basically the moving the chart moving the. Uh, Headphone jack had apparently no effect on sales whatsoever. You know, it sold. They sold more phones, and oh yeah, and and it's he's and you know, there's some articles devoted so much space to talking about it, and I have heard very few complaints. I know a few people who have switched. I have a friend who wrote me in some distress because she was considering an Android phone after her son had gotten one because he had gotten tired of the iOS ecosystem, and she went out and got one, and she really likes it. But part of the thing was she just didn't like Apple sort of removing ports and and um, some of the stuff she'd heard. And I was like, you know, if it works for you, that is awesome. But it was interesting that uh, it was sort of a constellation thing. She felt like the iPhone had become tired. Mm. So that's another reason we need an iPhone X or something. Um, I wanted to bring up this, uh, we've got a couple other stories to finish up this episode with uh, Rogue Amoeba, the makers of Airfoil and some other products like Piezo. They uh, wrote, published an interesting blog entry about leaving the app store and uh, the Mac app store. And I, you know, as much as everyone uh, developers are tied into the iOS app store, because it's the only way to deliver apps, the Mac app store is really optional. And the key advantage has been access to iCloud syncing. And it is unclear whether iCloud syncing is that great of an advantage because of problems people have had, although that's gotten much better. So um, they, uh, the, so uh, they took uh, Paul Cavassis, who's the head of, Rogue Amoeba looked at, uh, at the numbers they'd had with their app Piezo um, after looking at uh, the tool uh, Dash, um, which is made by Capelli. They'd left the app store, but it's, it's for developers, so it's got kind of a more um, a focused appeal. Uh, Paul looked at their product um, Piezo, which had been in the app store, and they pulled it exactly a year ago. So they had a perfect delineation point, and they found they had sold uh, more units um, uh, not year over year, but they'd sold, uh, oh, I'm sorry, they actually sold slightly fewer units year over year, uh, with one exception, but they had made more revenue year over year because they didn't have to pay Apple its 30% cut. All they were paying was the few percentage points they pay for credit card uh, processing or VAT or other kinds of things. So just an interesting point. They, basically, they made more money. Uh, it was less hassle because they didn't have to also put it into the Mac App Store and deal with separate restrictions. And uh, and there you go. It's an interesting thing. So. Developers have no real incentive, and I don't feel like Apple has made enough of a um, push there in a long time in the Mac side. Part of the complaints about what's going on with Mac. Yeah. All right, I left the bit le- best for last, which was uh, Tim Cook uh, was speaking, and um, I didn't think there was anything new. That's why I'm doing it at the end. <laughs> I felt like um, 
He said again, augmented reality is the future, and yeah, the, the, our headline is augmented reality is the future, and fake news is ruining everything. It was interesting he brought up the news part. I mean, we've heard him say things about augmented reality before, uh, because I think if you look at, gosh, I mean, Susie, have you been reading up on like the issues with um, you know Oculus systems and the kind of uh, magic leap, the some pictures leaked of what their system looks like now where it's supposed to be this thing embedded in glasses and it's this huge backpack at the moment in their prototype no. stage. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. It's, I mean, it's, um, it's you know, ultimately things will get miniaturized, but all of the folks I know in the game development world who are super excited about VR, the computational part is huge. It's like, yeah. if you, you know, if you can't, things should have advanced by now, given that, that Oculus is a few years old and some of the systems have been out now for a few years, computational, performance increases in computers at this usually a very fast rate. And I think the Mac has slowed down a bit is one of the issues, how fast its computational performance has increased. But the you know, you're gonna have to have systems that can be sold to almost everybody, not to a small fraction of high end people. You start with the small fraction of early adopters who really want it, but for games and other products to find an audience, they can't charge a thousand dollars for a game. They have to be able to charge, you know, fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it'll be for an immersive VR game. And that that's requires a mass audience. That's why they're putting audience. it in the car. I don't think they're making a consumer AR product. I think that's, that's the car. Yeah. Well, I, AR is so much less computationally intensive too. And I think that's where it's coming from is VR, I think is like VR has always been next year. And I think it's almost this year. Like we have systems that work, but I think the economics of VR are still not there because of computational requirements. But AR, you can do AR now. And having yeah. two cameras in the iPhone 7 Plus makes them uh it makes it a uh an ar tool basically and you can do some things with one camera but two lets you estimate depth and i think that was an experiment well and so if you need a lot of computational power and you need a lot of cameras um you need a car just put it all in the car and then the heads-up display like those already exist so that's a very apple thing like taking something that already exists for like a niche of you know nerds that know about it and making it like something that everybody says so when tim cook's like you're going to be dealing with ar every day i don't think he's talking about the iphone i think he's talking about the car i think that's their car project I think that makes a lot of sense. I, there's, can you imagine? There's so many things. Every time we talk about AR and cars, um, th- think about you know false night vision on your windshield so you could see the outside. Like imagine driving mm-hmm. and the your windshield would illuminate the outside for you, practically as if it were bright as day. You'd see animals. It would warn you if a deer was leaping around the side. Of you. Warning: deer approaching. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, it could pick like, up deer like infrared. It could like you know highlight like you could like flash you know where you have to turn or like the building that you're looking Someone for. It could stopped. try to find open parking spaces. Like there's so much automatic parking, AR could do for you right. in the car. Where it's like we're not going to be walking around with like glasses on our faces. We're not going to be walking around holding our iPhones up. Like that was all at like, Canary in the coal mine. Like proof of concept stuff. Mm-hmm. The real thing that's going to make it blow up is you just sit in your car seat. They know where your head is. They know like you know how tall you are, um, and that they're just going to put the AR right in front of you in the car. I dig it. I dig it. There's just so many things. I think even like, I mean, have you ever driven on a night with pea soup fog? And I, I, I've been on. Um, and you have on, to turn the beams up, right? Like you wouldn't have to turn keep, turn the beams up no, and keep would, turning them down. Like the car could kind of do that for you. And you only need a something. Then the advantage of AR or some systems like this, systems that are more intelligent about stopping and braking, whatever, you only need a small number of cars on the road to improve road safety dramatically because a small number of cars typically causes problems. So there's something about like if you take five, Five percent of the cars out of a huge traffic slowdown, traffic resumes to normal, and, and you know when they do simulations. Yeah. So what if you have 
uh, you know, 5% of the cars on the road automatically figure out following distance and correct speed and brake appropriately and slow down instead of stop, you know, going fast and stopping. Even just merging correctly. Like, oh, no one God. can do it right. If everyone did the zipper merge right, we wouldn't even have to slow down. But yeah, once exactly. the cars are helping us with that, it's going to be a lot better. Exactly. So I think uh, that's, you know, so car smart. Like, I am more excited. I think there's a great place for self-driving or, you know, autonomous vehicles will have a huge impact in the future it's years away whatever they say it's always good it's still like vr it's like like truly autonomous uh well-performing cars are going to be are five years away now and in five years they might still be a few years away based on everything i've read because there's there's just um there's too much optimism we're in the uh the uh, peak of hype now, I think. There's or a lot of baby steps to get there, but they're taking yeah. those baby steps already. My son still asks me every few weeks, are they still working on those robot cars? Robot like, cars. Yes, they are. But, I mean, there's a huge there's a huge and wonderful impact for that that will be a beneficial to society despite the loss in jobs, which I think will be displaced to other industries um, as we switch over. But, the, but AR and uh, heads-up displays and integrative electronics and driver advisory. Like the Tesla thing, I know they're pushing really hard. And what was interesting with that terrible um, accident where the fellow was killed is the you know, National Transportation Safety Board came back with a report and said this wasn't the software's fault. This was driver inattention, basically. I'm forgetting – I should be careful because I forget the exact words. But it was um, uh, – he spent too much time not engaged in the mode that Tesla absolutely recommended for – the car uh, when you're engaged with its, um, you know, autopilot mode. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll improve the software based on this, obviously, but like it was, a, it was an accident, someone was killed, it's tragic, but it doesn't negate the advantage of driver assistance, like keeping yeah. drivers alert and aware because you just nod off. You're looking at the road and it goes endless. A car that said your degree of alertness is now approaching dangerous levels. You need to pull, you need to pull off in the next five miles. We can call someone for you, but you are no longer capable of driving safely um, and not take, you know, you don't want to, the nanny state problem of it taking, all right, your car privileges have been revoked because you are sleeping. <laughs> but but wouldn't you love something? I've driven at times wow. at night where I don't realize how tired I am and have something yeah. say the safest thing for you now, you know, according to all research, you can no longer drive safely. Mm-hmm. You should you should get off the road and find a motel or even pull over, leave the car running with the window cracked and sleep for twenty minutes and then we will wake you. You know, the car will wake you up. All these things could happen. Save lives, keep people happy. Yeah. I like it. Uh, fake news. Yeah, there's fake news. The end. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was interesting. Tim Cook highlighted it because, you know, they still don't have their news app is not a non-viable product, but I don't know anybody who uses it. I guess people use it. Uh, some of my Facebook friends are always posting Apple News links to I Facebook links, and I don't want to click on them because it says like Apple.news and I'm like, I don't know where this is going to take me. Like, I don't right want to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Often the so, links break and... so some people are using it, I guess. I, guess. I don't know. I guess. Because it's I, packed I, in. So the people use the packed in apps. It's what we've learned, right? I do like that one of the largest, most valuable companies in the world that reaches the most, you know, many, like a very large number of technology uses, users the head of that company has made a it's not a political statement it's a statement about education and knowledge and uh truth and in any this is the interesting part if you oppose his statement because you believe it has a political impact you're saying that it's okay for people to learn things that aren't true or that there's no no way to determine that whether something is true or not by any standard. And I, you know, I obviously disagree with that. So it's hard to make it a political issue unless you believe that the politicians you support or the politics you support uh, require 
low information on behalf of people. Yeah, but then, I mean, they're going to come in and make it like a marketing point. Like, yeah, iPhones yeah. are more secure, and Apple News doesn't have any fake news. And it's just like, it's 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 a good stance to take. And I'm glad that, you know, they, they like, everyone should be, obviously, anti-fake news and, and be more um, savvy about, you know, what you consume. And I'm seeing, you know how Facebook just totally skews what you see? So I'm oh, yeah, seeing yeah. stuff on Facebook that I, you know, already agree with, and they're showing me more and more of it. But even that side um, it has a ton of fake news on it. Like, there's all these sites that keep coming up again and again and again. And I'm like, I'm not even clicking on that. That's not trustworthy. So yeah. it's a problem on both sides. And, uh, you know, Facebook is doing a terrible job. Um, they say they're doing stuff, but so it'll, you know, if Apple tries to do something that's great, but then, you know, to, to get any benefit from that, you have to be inside Apple's ecosystem. Oh, I hate that. I mean, what I'd rather do, this, this is the thing, um, as a journalist, love to have happen is, um, all the organizations that are sucking the advertising money out of journalism. Like there's no, there's no right for journalism to exist in an industry. And I'm not defending like a particular newspaper or product or IDG, uh, consumer and small business division. <laughs> no, nobody in particular, but I think there's, there's this responsibility that Facebook, um, you know, Apple doesn't do advertising like this, but Facebook, Google, Twitter, other organizations that are piggybacking on the fact that reporting exists. And a lot of their, a lot of what's read on most, sites that drives advertising is news that's being reported by sites that have lost advertising to these sites. So I think, I mean, ultimately I expect Facebook to either fund or set up a news division that will be set up like an independent division. Remember when Microsoft set up um, MSNBC in partnership with NBC? Yeah. Um, there, there, that didn't take off. I think the timing was wrong, but I will not be surprised if we see, uh, I mean, yeah, news.com got bought by, um, or CNET by uh, CBS, I believe too. Um, but it would not surprise me if we see groups that are, are organizations, companies that are making a lot of their money off some part of news, finding the news economy slumping or in bad shape. Um, you saw that uh, ProPublica, which is an independent mm -hmm. investigative thing, they just hired – they're hiring dozens of reporters based on the donations they received um, in 2016 and like a huge fl flood already this year. They're replacing some of the investigative news that disappeared, but thousands and thousands of newsroom employees were lost across the U.S. because of advertising declines. And again, some of that's due to efficiency because digital ads are more efficient than uh, print in some ways. But uh, some of it's just uh, to do with um, where the money is winding up, which is on Facebook and uh, elsewhere. It's like uh, so. It's I like, mean, Apple's hired you know journalists. They've been hiring more and more recently. And like just yesterday, they sent us like a story that they had written on like the guy who produced one of the producers um, for Adele's album Twenty Five that just really? won the Grammy. And they were like, "Hey, here's an article on Apple.com that we you know did an interview with this guy, and like you should know, don't, don't you want to cover it?" And they wanted us to link to like an article that they had written that had like no byline, but was basically like a feature length like ad for logic and then at the that's end wild. it was like buy logic two hundred dollars so wild. yeah i mean it's like you know companies have blog posts and they write about whatever but this was like you know this was a very produced like feature so um yeah it's, it's interesting yeah, it's like so they, they you know they have they have like a you know, vested interest in news, but you know it all. Everything they do comes back to selling more stuff. So it's you know I'm I'm again like my my refrain I guess is just I'm interested to see how it plays out, but I don't trust it. <laughs> well, I can't disagree with your cynicism about it, um, but I do like the fact that they're speaking out about. 
fake news, even though they may not be it's able like to do It's like the easiest thing to speak out about. It's like, you know, fake news is bad. You know, milk is good. Like, duh. Like, these are, I don't know, whatever. It's true, but I don't <laughs> Thanks know. Thanks for I, speaking out on something totally obvious, Tim. I guess it's just, I think, well, I guess, you know, you know the problem is with out of framework, saying that it's, you have to do something about it. If they Truth said, is better than lies. If they had said, we're creating a one, we're giving $1 billion to this new foundation that is going to provide a uh, you know, vetting and train reporters and uh, provide assistance to people in totalitarian countries. Like if they'd said, we don't like fake news, here's what we're going to do. Here's a billion dollars, right? If they'd done that, then yeah. you'd say, oh, well, they just did something about fake news. They create, they helped create a foundation or fund whatever that would actually be engaged in the process as opposed to what you're saying. I guess you're right. Yeah, he spoke about it the same way he would speak about like something that he's teasing as a future product launch. <laughs> You know, Apple yeah, he approved. wasn't like he wasn't like here's a solution. He was like here's something bad, and we're working on it. Wink, wink. No, you're right. It's exciting just, I, things in the pipeline. I, I wish there there's just there's a lot of there are many many billions of dollars floating out there among billionaires and companies that I think would be best would be very well served if a tiny fraction of it went into. Um, into reporting when they talk about the into news reporting because when they talk about you know the drop newsroom jobs a lot of newsroom jobs would have disappeared. Like, let's say, I've had this theory, if advertising dollars had remained exactly the same in newspapers and magazines, many jobs would have dropped and profit would have gone up and executives would have gotten paid more, of course, because a lot of jobs 20 years ago had to do with things that were hard to do and hard to research, stock prices, you'd have, you know, need researchers to pull up information you can find in three seconds from the primary source. You know, even things like local sport reporting, it's not that those jobs would be eliminated, but a lot of the work would be simpler, like the fo- like photo developing. You know, there are people in dark rooms 20 years ago. So there's some jobs that would have been lost or changed because of that. But the investigative jobs, you don't need uh, 10,000 yeah. investigative reporters. You need a few thousand. And we only have, you know, several hundred who have that beat now. And um, that's where money would go. Would go. Yeah, I think the number short. of reporters is shrinking and the number of like PR people is growing. So that just, you know, that helps like access journalism, but there's access and there's investigative and, you know, you need a mix of both. You can't just rely on access journalism because that's when you end up in a basement with plastic over the windows. I have one. You're right. I have one last story I forgot to bring up earlier in the podcast. So those of you who have waited to the end, congratulations. Here's our bonus story. Um, we love you and guys. The, we love you. Thank you for listening this long. We know who you are because and we uh, know the five of just, you who just do this. Tweet at us. <laughs> and a you're not the as best. good as a wink to a blind bat and we'll know you'll listen this far. You'll yep. be part of the club. Uh, Twitterific, which is made by Icon Factory, is one of the earliest uh, Twitter clients and uh, oh, yeah. it, uh, it's also um, uh Twitterific was also um, uh, the folk. Sorry, Icon Factory rather the folks who invented the bird icon for Twitter. Twitter did not invent that. That's the amazing part. Yep. And so um, Icon Factory has not been. Um, they have not been developing uh, the Mac version of Twitterific for some time. There is an iOS version that remains in place, and so instead of uh, funding it themselves. Uh, which they, you know, is tricky because the sales were poor and blah, 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 right? Like they had, they, um, Twitterific, yeah, Twitterific for Mac was released 10 years ago, 2007, and they stopped updating it in 2013. So here's the thing. They are doing a Kickstarter campaign. And uh, a few years ago, I went to this conference called Singleton up in Quebec, which is, uh, Quebec City, which is no longer, um, I'm saying no, uh, uh, Montreal, not Quebec City. Sorry, Montreal in Quebec. Um, and uh, talked about this as an idea because I've always been hot on crowdfunding. And I said, you know, if you have the right project going to your 
users to essentially have them pre-buy but also have premium items is a way to fund things where you're not sure if the market's there. You're predicting the market by seeing if people are willing to put their money where their mouse is and mouth is and trust you. And I've seen a few software projects of different scales and different kinds of things, game developers and so forth. Um, this isn't the first thing like this, but it's an interesting idea. So they're out for uh, $75,000 is their goal. They're already at uh, about uh, 20% there, almost 20%, I think, as we uh, record this on a Tuesday morning. And, um, but the it just idea started is, today. Yeah, it started today. So they have 353 backers in a, you know, a matter of a uh, few hours. It's just spreading. And um, the basic idea is you can pledge at uh, uh, $15. It gets you the essentially what's going to be a $20 product when it's released. And then they have higher level ones. You want beta releases and some other stuff, 30 bucks and more. So they're giving people a chance to help support this independent development. So it's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it because part of the uh, – I really like the people involved. I like the company. I like their products. I like their icons quite a bit as well. Um, but they don't uh, – some basic features will not be in the, that 75 grand goal level. They have a stretch goal for a hundred grand, which includes direct messaging and some other stuff that I think is pretty in a built-in media viewer. Um, I think it's pretty critical. And so I understand them being conservative and then giving a reach, but I don't think the product is feature complete with um, at the 75 grand level, their basic goal. I think it's feature complete for some of the stuff that's in their stretch goal. However, if they achieve their basic goal, I am positive they will achieve that for a stretch goal. Uh, and then the product will be available for sale too when they release it later this year. So just an interesting thing. I like to highlight it because again, independent software developer trying something different. Um, it's a great idea to, to see if they have the user base there. They don't need a uh, hundred thousand people. They need a couple thousand people um, or maybe even as few as 1,500 who are interested in keeping uh, the, the product alive because they like it on iOS or like the previous Mac version. Um, I use TweetBot. I have some issues with a few of the features and things, but I use that on iOS and Mac, and it kind me of too. fits me. Yeah, and I used Twitterific for years because it was the best thing for a long time, and then I was able to to compare, and I feel like TweetBot fit my head better. It's not a better product per se. It has a different set of features. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I well, like I like how TweetBot will sync between Mac and iOS, and that is on their list for the first um, version of uh, Twitterific. So that could really right. help it like come back because oh, yeah. a lot of people who are you know Twitter are big users, they want something that's going to kind of save their place between platforms. So having having something on two platforms, I feel like already just gets you to a whole other strata. Oh yeah, and then you can because I want to have the same experience everywhere with it. Yeah, um, but then, so when I open it on my iPhone, like it just zips to like where I left off on my Mac and I like that. It's awesome. I also point out one uh, one other thing is a thank you to uh, anyone who backed my letterpress project. It reached um, full my goal in like Yay! three days, and the hundred books that are part of the limited edition for this thing uh, were sold out in. Uh, well, it's not a sale; it's just a reward claiming uh, within I think ten days. Um, so I still have several days left in the project. It's called Hands On, the original digital. There's still some rewards left like keepsake letterpress keepsakes and ebooks but i really appreciate the the support it's gonna be a fun year for me to do some stuff with my hands because uh because of the support from people so thanks and i think that brings us to the end of this episode this is the end my friends it's it um thank you Susie. great to talk to you as always you too thank you and this has been the mac world podcast episode five four six for february 15th 2017 you know how to find us right macworld.com email us podcast at macworld you can find um that would be macworld sorry podcast at macworld.com you need that dot com on there we haven't got to that point yet facebook.com slash macworld is where you can comment on articles and see links and 
Uh, talk to us there. You can also find us on Twitter at Macworld. You can find Susie at SFSoos. That's S-F-S-O-O-Z like Z. And I'm at Glenn F. G-L-E-N-N-F or I tweet way too much. But fewer dad jokes these days. But still, still I'm there. Uh, so folks, come back and join us again uh, next week. And thank you for listening. <laughs>